You're listening to the Socialist Lawyer Podcast. Okay, folks, we'll get started. Everyone is very welcome to this evening's talk. My name is Declan Owens. I'm the co-chair of the Haldian Society of Socialist Lawyers. You'll maybe detect from my accent that I'm Irish and I'm speaking from an Irish rainforest, which um, reflects the um, practice area that I'm currently in, which is climate justice. And in fact, this um, discussion this evening will touch upon climate justice issues. However, the primary focus is to ascertain the truth about Zane. And we're very um, glad to have Kai, Zane's father, with us, and Nicole, Zane's mother. Um, we also have Deborah Coles, who's the director of Inquest, who has been very supportive of the family. So I'll um, let Kai introduce himself further whenever he speaks. However, I'd just like to give some further background on Deborah's work and how she has been active over many years um, and in many campaigns in relation to obtaining truth and justice on behalf of families who've been let down by the state. So Deborah is the executive director of Inquest and has worked for the charity since 1989. So she's a, a long track record of champion, championing social justice and equality issues. Um, in her role, she leads Inquest strategic policy, legal and parliamentary work and has considerable experience in working to prevent death and ill treatment in all forms of detention and for more effective accountable learning after state related deaths. So she's been an independent expert advisor to numerous committees and inquiries and was a special advisor to Dame Angelini, the, the chair of the independent review of deaths and serious incidents in police custody. With, with her background, she's a regular media commentator and delivers conference papers nationally and internationally. So um, a lot of you joining today may not be aware of the, the Haldian Society, so I'll just give you a quick overview. So the, the Haldian Society was formed in 1930. It is, as it suggests, uh, a society of socialist lawyers. And although for many that may seem like a contradiction, that's very much our identity. We're socialists first and lawyers second, and our um, analysis of the law and politics is from a socialist perspective, and we, we do not shy away from that. We engage in many different uh, campaigns. Our executive committee is about 40 members, and they're involved in a variety of, uh, of human rights issues, and then they take them into um, our executive committee meetings, and we seek to amplify those issues um, more broadly. And we have um, a lot of experienced and um, well-recognized lawyers who are um, on our um, vice president list and who and Michael Mansfield QC is our president. So um, I'm just gonna take you on a brief rundown of the agenda for today. We're going to have a short um, video which will give 
a, a great background as to um, the meeting here today and why it's so important to obtain the truth about Zane. We will then have um, Kai, Zane's father, speaking for um, about 10, 15 minutes. And then we'll have Deborah speaking for 10 or 15 minutes. And then we will show a brief um, two minute video, which will bring us up to date and build upon their um, talks. And after that, we'll have plenty of time for questions and comments and we'll see who can help the campaign and what um, ideas may emerge and we're very much um, grateful for your attendance this evening. So if you'll just give me a moment I will um, share my screen and start the video. It's been more than four months since the floodwaters receded here and yet the sandbags, the pumps are evidence of how this is a home caught in a single moment in time the night Zane died. The family believe that on that night, contaminated flood water from a former landfill site filled their basement. As theirs was the only one open to the soil, their theory is that poisonous vapor then infused the house. Kai lost consciousness and awoke in intensive care, only to be told his son had died. So far, no post-mortem has been able to establish Zane's death. But his father says he and his son suffered from hydrogen cyanide poisoning. When these concerns were put to Surrey County Council, they denied the site at the rear of the property had ever been used as a landfill, saying, think carefully about spreading panic among local residents. In an official statement, they went on to say, Abbey Field is a landscape lake area created as a result of mineral excavation and has not been a landfill site. Now it's emerged that a simple property search carried out by any home buyer will reveal the area is recorded as landfill. This is the property. At the rear, shaded brown, a local authority recorded landfill site. What's more, the report says there is the potential for significant ground contamination to exist. No site visit was made, but this is all based on information from Surrey County Council. And here's a similar search on the Environment Agency's website. The pink shows historic landfill, again, right next to their home. So what do the council have to say now? In a statement, they said simply, Police are investigating this sad case and are waiting on the results of tests, so it wouldn't be appropriate to speculate on the cause of death until they have them. Coming up on BBC London before seven. Poisoned after his home was flooded, the documents raising new questions surrounding a seven-year-old's death. His parents renewed their calls for a public inquiry. Let's look at the, these documents and have a truthful investigation into what happened to my son to make sure that it never happens again. Very good evening, I'm Assad Ahmed. Documents obtained by BBC London raise new questions over the cause of a schoolboy's death during floods in Surrey seven years ago. An inquest ruled that Zane Bangbola died of carbon monoxide poisoning from a floodwater pump. But his parents believe he died from poisoning caused by a deadly chemical dumped in a nearby landfill site, which ended up in the floodwater. They believe the documents strengthen their calls for an independent public inquiry, as Liana Hosier learned for this special report. Zane was only seven when he died in February 2014 after suffering a cardiac arrest while asleep in his bed. His father Kai also had a heart attack and is now paralysed from the waist down. 
Zane's mother is heartbroken. He was the love of our lives and um, every moment with him was a moment cherished and every moment without him is all lifetime lost and I can't express how much I loved him and how deeply it hurts. It all happened during severe floods in Surrey. An inquest found Zane died from carbon monoxide poisoning, but his family believe he died from hydrogen cyanide, which they think seeped into their home in Chertsey from a nearby landfill. These documents say hydrogen cyanide was detected three times in your house, not just once as previously reported, and carbon monoxide was never detected. What's your reaction to this? This wasn't something discussed in the inquest. Hydrogen cyanide was detected in our home. My husband, Zane's father, was two yards away from Zane and he is paralysed due to hydrogen cyanide poisoning. That's what his doctor said? Yes. That's what his medical records say. The documents say that at the levels of hydrogen cyanide found in the house, prolonged exposure could lead to a cardiac arrest and that the family could have been exposed for weeks. They also say the water pump that the inquest found was the cause of carbon monoxide poisoning was not operating. The petrol pump wasn't in use and what was exposed in the inquest was that they seized the pump, they tested it and the pump was faulty. It could not run. Shortly after Zane's death, a government source briefed the media carbon monoxide poisoning was responsible before a post-mortem was even carried out. In an email ahead of a COBRA meeting chaired by the then Prime Minister David Cameron on the issue, a Public Health England official writes of political pressure to determine whether carbon monoxide is the cause of death. This is a cover-up at the highest level. Hydrogen cyanide was detected. Hydrogen cyanide was the only gas detected. Carbon monoxide shouldn't be discussed. Carbon monoxide was never detected in the property and there was no source of carbon monoxide. The pump is clear in those documents. The pump was not in use. The government says experts from Public Health England provided evidence to the coroner to help the investigation in 2016. Meanwhile, the coroner says he conducted an independent and fearless inquest. This will be of little consolation for the family who say they will continue their search for truth and justice for their son, Zane. Liana Hosea, BBC London. Yeah, I think we all need to um, just um, take a moment and reflect on the, the profound nature of the video. And um, it is very much something that we've had to digest and it's not easy for Kai and Nicole to come on and speak about it. But the um, phrase is often said that um, <clears throat> there's no harder um, thing for a parent than to experience uh, the, the death of a child. And I think it's, it's that um, love and sense of injustice, which is propelling Kai and Nicole forward. Um, we, we've seen in many cases how the, the love of families and communities has overrided the justice system or the, the so-called justice system, whether that's uh, the Hillsborough families or um, the families of the victims of Bloody Sunday. And we know that 
the um, Orgreave campaigners still continue for justice there. And very much live at the moment, the, the families of the, the Grenfell um, disaster have um, continued to, to fight on behalf of their loved ones. So I shall um, give Kai the opportunity to come and give his story. And um, we're, we're very um, grateful for him in doing so. Hello, um, thank you very much, Declan. I'm Kai Bangbola and I'm Zane's daddy. And uh, the video gives an insight. You see the government's involvement, you see the distressing struggle because we dared to ask for the truth to be told about how our son, Zane, about how our son, Zane, was killed. The law has not worked for Zane. And I would ask our distinguished guests that are here several questions like, are you not shocked by what happened? Some of you have children of your own. What would you do if it happened to you? How would you like or expect the law to respond if it did happen to you? And what legal bodies would you want to stand in solidarity with you? These are just starters for the discussion. And I'd like to try and pool the experiences of the audience because the things that we will speak of are better solved by people working together. Answers might refer to areas of law, public law, climate law, ethics, human rights, rules of evidence, candor, probity, political conduct, who's best positioned to assist us, court jurisdiction. And of course, there are many intersections that you'll find in Zane's case. We can only tell you what happened and hope that people will work with us to fight for truth, as we have seen with other campaigns. But I want to be clear, this is not about denigrating the legal system. It's about improvement to the delivery of justice, especially given the increase in justice campaigns. There are many injustices, but only one struggle. Spin deception, lies and power. If we are honest, if we're honest, this is what's at the heart of the matter. This lack of accountability leads to failures in law and in human rights. Zane's case is also where climate change meets oppression and the bureaucratic violence that's needed to protect toxic systems when fearless people speak truth to power. Nicole and I come before you as grieving parents, denied all rights to truth and justice, even the right to grieve in peace. Flood water passed through secret landfill into our Victorian flood basement, and our home was infused with nerve agent. In addition to flooding and secret landfill, the nerve agent was the chemical that's uh, a weapon of mass destruction, horrific hydrogen cyanide. Some know it as invisible, odorless Zyklon B. And Zyklon B was used to kill millions in World War II gas chambers. 
and it was detected multiple times in our home by expert hazmat. And this was further confirmed in FOI disclosures, as well as in many evidential bundles. The same FOI that you saw in Zane's video states political pressure to determine carbon monoxide. This politically motivated story was told after the emergency COBRA meeting that took place on the day that Zane died. It resulted in a number 10 Downing Street spokesperson making a statement to the BBC, ITV, etc., telling the public and the world's media that the little boy in Chertsey died due to carbon monoxide poisoning from exhaust fumes caused by pumps used by parents to clear flood water. Now, there's also a fourth element here, which is there were hospitals overwhelmed with unwell and evacuated people. Many in the emergency services needed decontamination, resulting in the press prior to the change of story, also reporting and also reported in the FOIs, talking about the need for people to be decontaminated. And then the fifth element is where the expert geotechnical reports on the secret landfill four years before Zane was killed states that there are migrating landfill gases. The risk is high and unacceptable. Investigation is required, then remediate. This and with this forewarning, the authorities protected their own properties next door to Zane's home using gas-proof membranes. So they knew that gases wouldn't rise into their properties and harm and kill people. They knew. Zane's death was entirely avoidable. What was it like for us, many people ask? And some people may have watched the film Anne and the Salisbury Poisonings, where you can merge them together and note that Zane had no public authority sympathy from any quarter. We were attacked for daring to ask for the truth. Imagine all that firepower. There are some real monsters that are prepared to attack children than one would imagine. As with Hillsborough, the duty of candour was non-existent in Zane's case. Despite many documents, data and facts confirming hydrogen cyanide, the multiple authorities involved simply denied hydrogen cyanide was ever detected. In addition, there was no proper full and fearless investigation. Zane was denied an Article 2 inquest. Zane was denied a jury. Witnesses and evidence were compromised at every level. Blame was shifted to a predetermined cause of carbon monoxide at day one, even though no such substance was ever detected. We found ourselves, Nicole and I, on trial at an inquest based on untruths. We were denied legal aid several times. The Prime Minister actually told the BBC, we don't need it, whilst a phalanx of multi-billion pound turnover authorities all were given legal aid and additional public funding for their legal teams for years, enabling the appointment of some of the best lawyers and QCs in the UK. Even the coroner had legal aid.
we wheelchaired to raise £80,000 to pay for representation at our own child's sham inquest. Equality of arms? No. Metaphorically speaking, we had one totally unarmed David against multiple heavily armed Goliaths. So a question to you, what do you do when you and others present at the scene tell the truth of how your child was killed and those who should investigate simply refuse to? And what do you do if public authorities are implicated? Now, elected members at a Conservative council in the area that Zane lived unanimously called Zane's case a cover-up and demanded an independent panel inquiry and an investigation of their government for this embarrassing state of affairs, further to FOIs and whistleblowers, etc., providing hydrogen cyanide facts and evidence galore. Yet we still have no investigation. Lord Denning and Mrs Justice Steen are clear parties must not profit from failures to adduce evidence requested and known. The lack of due diligence in addressing such matters prevents accountability and leads to miscarriages. The words in the National Incident Record Book for Zane's case says information must be redacted to prevent sensitive information getting into the uh, public domain. Five of the six pages were actually redacted. What is seen states very high levels of hydrogen cyanide on the first and second floor of Zane's home. Legal teams have a duty to call out such failings, especially against the most vulnerable in society, to protect their human rights, as they rightly did to protect the integrity of the profession in recent strikes. The challenge is that allowing such massive injustice erodes the profession and affects everyone. The toxicity of the system means that more, the more vulnerable that we are, the longer justice is delayed and the easier we are to abuse. Now imagine if they can do this for the 97 people of Hillsborough, the 72 people of Grenfell, the 2,000 in infected blood, think what they can do to the ones forced to walk alone like us. Nicole should be lionised for raising the alarm whilst doing CPR on Zane. Some here may remember the distress that they felt when Christian Eriksson collapsed in the Euros, but that was not Christian Eriksson's mum having to do CPR on him, as Nicole did for Zane. I was unconscious in cardiac arrest, virtually dead, totally unable to help Nicole. Had Nicole not have managed to raise the alarm that day, many would have died. Now, these matters, I guess the authorities did not want you to know. They did not want the public to know hospitals were overwhelmed because the public might worry about their own safety and kick up a fuss about how this all happened. And you might praise a mother for her effort and possibly have sought to support us when Zane was killed by outpourings and testimonials. The government's false statement on what happened 
isolated us after all. Who would run to the aid of people inferred as implicated in their own son's death? Covering up killings to covering up parties in Partygate makes clear that institutions can be untrustworthy and they can commit crimes. And then you spin deception and lies to avoid accountability, probity and candour, believing that there is one set of laws for them and another for others. This is a blurring of the basic principles that separate the executive from the judiciary. Being a one should not mean that we have to walk alone. Just look at George Floyd. The true measure is who amongst the powerful stand up for truth. If there is nothing for any of these authorities to hide, then give Zane an independent panel inquiry with full disclosure. We are grateful and we thank the 111,000 public petitioners, the general secretaries of unions such as the FBU, who refuse to be complicit. We thank Unison, Unite, PCS Union, CWU, NEU, the Trade Union Congress, and some of our cross-party leaders. Indeed, Zane is in the Labour Party manifesto as one of the greatest social injustices of our time. The Green Party have a national resolution of solidarity and they lead the cross-party support for Zane's law in the House of Lords. We welcome anyone here, and I see that Hilda has put in a sign of solidarity, anyone representing lawyer bodies who wish to stand and show their solidarity. Just get in touch with us through truthaboutzane.com. Uh, you'll also find the petition. So please feel free to sign it and share it. At points in history, official obstacles can prove too great to make progress. The lack of accountability, the lack of support, causing everyday folk to suffer. Any academic wanting to do dissertations in the hugely emerging area of environmental law would do well to study Zane's case. Critical justice campaign theory suggests the system is broken and can be rigged, enabled by a lack of proper due diligence. These injustices must be corrected and those responsible for crimes held to account for present and future generations benefits. For Zane, you must ask, what kind of a country do we live in where there is no investigation into hydrogen cyanide in a neighborhood? I was two yards from Zane, unconscious. My diagnosis is paraplegia due to hydrogen cyanide poisoning. Bottom line, did Zane get a fair hearing? The answer is no. As parents, we cherish our little ones. They are not random dead people when it's your child that was laughing and playing next to you, what seemed like moments before. For the time that Zane was with us, it was beautiful and very, very inspiring. When he was interviewed for the school journal about the environmental team that he helped found and set up, he said, some people believe that being green and sustainability is about looking after their garden, but it's really about looking after a bigger garden that belongs to everyone. It's so important that you hear Zane's own words to understand how much he loved people.
Zane believed in service before self. Even on his final day, he was out ensuring elderly people in the area would get their medicines because he knew the floods were there and coming. Truth is, all people killed <coughs> have to have justice. Robbing these innocent people of the truth affects everyone and it's our collective duty to act. We will deliver Zane's 11,000 petition on the 21st of October and you are all welcome to join us. No one should be tired of hearing the voices of those that call out for justice. They should be tired, however, they should be tired of hearing that nothing has been done. I have covered just the tip of the iceberg, namely some of what's in the public domain. Our experience is one of pain, suffering, cruelty and torment, torment that will affect us for all of our days. But Zane can get a legacy of truth that protects others, and that's what he deserves. And that can be achieved with all of your support. Our hope is to honour Zane with truth and protect others. According to the British Medical Journal, 80% of people in this country live within two kilometres of landfill. This fight is everybody's fight. And it's in the national interest. Authorities must face up to the truth and not bury it. For Zane, the truth hides in plain sight. Little children should not be tucked up at night and fear that they will not wake up in the morning. Zane didn't die accidentally. He was unlawfully killed. The evidence is there. Zane died and authorities lied. I'd like to thank you for allowing me to be Zane's voice today. Peace to you and yours. Rest in peace, Zane. Thank you. Thank you, Kai. And we are very grateful for you to present the circumstances and to outline the injustices that have occurred to Zane, yourself and Nicole. And we, we must never forget how you were personally impacted as well, and we appreciate how how difficult it must be at times to to continue to to fight. But you mentioned um, standing alone, but as as Hillsborough families know, know too well, only too well, you, you'll never walk alone with the way in which um, ordinary people come to support in solidarity and. We'll also um, do whatever we can as the Haldane Society to continue to support you and Nicole. So um, I'd like to now introduce Deborah Coles. As I referred to earlier, she's the Executive Director of Inquest and um, she's been supporting the campaign and she'll outline some of her thoughts now. Thank you. And um, I'm in complete awe of Kaya and Nicole, I've heard them speak on many occasions and I don't think anybody can fail to be not only extremely touched by such a beautiful boy who died, a preventable, unlawful death, as Kai said, but also the sheer determination of his mum and dad to see justice, not just for him, but to safeguard others. And 
you spoke really beautifully, Kai, um, as you always do. Um, and I also thought you gave across a really powerful reminder of the interconnectedness of, 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 of campaigns for justice. You know, we've we've heard about climate justice, but you know, social justice, racial justice, you know, the rights of workers, the rights of migrants, these these justice campaigns, they're all they're all linked. And I'm just going to briefly talk about and, and try and just pull out some of the the kind of themes based on inquest work, which is with people, um, bereaved people after state-related deaths. And that's from deaths in the care and custody of the state um, after multi-agency state failings and looking at uh, disasters like Hillsborough, Grenfell. Um, more information, obviously, on, on, our, on our website. And we were launched um, back in 1981. In fact, we're, we're, we're going into our 40th year, um, following family campaigns around deaths at the hands of the police or um, in prison, um, including the murder of, of Blair Peach, who was killed on a protest against the far right National Front and families had come together because of of deep frustration with the inquest and and legal system where family voice and participation was effectively denied um, and scrutiny into deaths um, extremely weak um, and issues around cover-ups and misinformation. Um, Celia Stubbs, many of you will will know her name, Blair's partner, was a founding member of Inquest, and her involvement in the organisation continues today because not only was um, she grieving the loss of her partner and, and struggling to find truth and accountability, but she was also spied upon by undercover police officers. And of course, we have the undercover um, uh, police um, inquiry going on at the at the moment, which involves many of the older families that Inquest have worked with. And I say that just in the context of, of how the state not only kills, but it also then puts people under, under surveillance. Um, both in the past to the present um, present day. And it was very much the conduct of, of the, the inquest into Blair Peach um, that rekindled, I think, public interest and awareness in the powers of coroners and um, inquest procedures. And inquest was very much a product of a moment really in history where um, there were particular struggles between the police and communities um, who face the brunt of oppressive policing, corruption, allegations, the policing of, of industrial um, protests, um, and growing mistrust of not only the police and the mobilisation of, of Black and other communities, but I think increasingly challenged um, to uh, legal systems that were very clearly um, operating in, in the interests of the powerful. Um, and since the very beginning of, uh, of Inquest, our, our purpose has been to try and secure um, truth, justice and accountability and support individual families in their struggles to discover that truth and hold the state and its agents or corporate bodies accountable and to end impunity and injustice in the hope of preventing future deaths. And once again, you know, I'm struck by Kai and Nicole you know, 
doing what so many families do after somebody has has died, which is a really selfless and shared aspiration of all the families that we work with, which is around trying to stop this happening to somebody else, establishing the truth, holding people accountable, but trying to prevent future deaths uh, uh, occurring. And I think it's the stories, the human stories, um, uh, that are so important in actually challenging the narratives that we hear from the state and its agent and 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 its agent agents. And our work is very much grounded in the experience of bereaved people, which has also helped to raise awareness and shifted the the debate around state related deaths and the often harrowing treatment of those who are bereaved, who are thrown into uh, a completely unknown system. Um, And so much of the work that we've done over over the four decades, I think, has really exposed the inadequacy of the existing modes of, of democratic accountability and dysfunctional legal processes. And by you know, working alongside families, I think we've opened up these systems to public scrutiny and and shone a light um, in our work, particularly around um, deaths in 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 state detention. That's a light behind the closed doors of those of those institutions, and often revealing the depth of systemic neglect and violence and racism and misogyny that exists. Um, but also trying to draw a, a public and parliamentary uh, attention into the significant obstacles that Kai's talked about that are put in the way of families. The, the state secrecy, the lack of transparency, funding, disclosure problems, the delays, <clears throat> the lack of independence and, and spin and the false and discrediting information about the the person who's died or their families, all designed to deflect and obscure uh, uh, and and obfuscate the true role of the state uh, and its agents. And of course, and I think Declan uh, Declan referred to this earlier on, where we see that the state historically has taken a really defensive position to defect its own, to, to, to protect its own interests. So looking back at the Peterloo massacre to Bloody Sunday, Hillsborough, Orgreave, Grenfell, and in the, the work we do around the hundreds of men, women and children who die in, in, in our state institutions every year. And daily we see examples of how <clears throat> it's the interests of powerful institutions and individuals that prevail over the access of bereaved people to the truth and transparency about how and why their relative died. And we see how this cuts across social class, it cuts across race and gender. And again, as as Kai, you know, when he talked about the David, uh, David and Goliath's kind of experience, you know, invariably, the search for answers and the truth, which every bereaved person um, should be entitled to, um, invariably, invariably begins to feel like a battle as the shutters come down from, from public or, or authorities. And this starts from the immediate aftermath of a death with the failure to provide information and advice and support to families on what their legal rights are um, and what the post-death processes are. And at a time of traumatic grief, suddenly bereaved people have to learn the language of death. What's a post-mortem? What's a coroner, an inquest, an inquiry? Um, And 
I think what we've what we've really kind of highlighted um, and, and looking across our work is how where you're talking about public authorities and private corporations, which bear responsibility for the health and safety of the public, there is an endemic culture of delay and denial of in, and of institutional defensiveness. And that is the default position. And too often they ob obfuscate the search for the truth and frequently delay or drip feed disclosure or conceal um, and, you know, to the point of the inquest or inquiry, where often there are attempts to um, pre pre prevent information from even being discussed with public immunity um, requests um, and, and, and the like. And of course, as we know, uh, the state will routinely be legally represented from the taxpayer purse whilst families have to apply for funding or crowdfund like Nicole and Kai had to do at a time when they were grieving their son's death. And I just defy anybody to, 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 to not recognise that as such cruel and utterly inhumane treatment. Um, the other thing that's very <clears throat> telling in these kind of processes is how the clear agenda of, of, of state and corporate lawyers is to approach any kind of inquest and inquiry as a damage limitation exercise, attempting to close down questioning or narrow the remit of the inquiry or the inquest, minimizing their responsibility and seeking to prevent any kind of criticism as far as possible. And of course, multiple lawyers the state or corporate bodies will often close ranks and, and, and actively support each other. The other thing we see all the time, and again, this has been alluded to, is, is victim blaming. You know, state corporate narratives designed to deflect attention away from individual or organisational failure and wrongdoing or, or at worst criminality, patterns going back decades. So in Hillsborough, the state, the police blame fans. In Grenfell, public bodies have been more concerned about potential public disorder after the fire than the well-being of, of, of the survivors and Nicole and Kai being blamed for their child's death. I mean, how on earth can we accept that um, situation and, and, and just the, the, the impact um, on, on families of those kind of, 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 of processes um, and, and conduct? And rather than, rather than organisations seeing <clears throat> the public scrutiny from an inquest or an inquiry as an opportunity to learn from past mistakes and reform dangerous practices, the state is more concerned with reputation management, concealing the truth, defending their policies and, and procedures, even where there is very clear cut um, evidence or, of systemic or individual failings. I'm just going to give three really recent examples. I mentioned Grenfell, and there were <clears throat> eight public bodies giving evidence at, at the um, Grenfell Public Inquiry. And those public bodies' lack of candour, their unwillingness to fully engage with the inquiry process has been a source of great pain and, and anger and frustration to bereaved people and survivors. And the inquiry QC, Richard Millett, has described this lack of candour by corporate core participants as a merry-go-round of, of buck passing. An inquest that finished this week into a case that we were involved in uh, after the death of a young man, the murder of a, of a young man with 
learning disability who'd been failed by various state organisations, said that I felt like the inquest was two weeks of people trying to avoid the blame, avoid accepting responsibility, just ducking everything and pushing it to other people. And then yesterday, some of you will have seen that the Independent Office of Police Conduct um, made a decision not to bring um, any kind of process, uh, process proceedings against any of the officers involved in the Daniel Morgan um, case. Um, and I just want to read what the inquiry um, uh, into Daniel Morgan's death actually said um, in, their, in the chair's um, commentary. And it was that police owe the members of Daniel Morgan's family and the public an apology for not confronting its systemic failings, for the failings of individual officers and for its lack of candor to the members of the family in failing to acknowledge its many failings over the 34 years since the murder of Daniel Morgan, the Metropolitan Police placed the reputation of the organisation above the need for accountability and transparency. In so doing, it, compound, it compounded the suffering and trauma of the family. And I just use those examples to, to, to also just kind of flag up something that I think is often really not not spoken about um, and, and mentioned enough, which is the high price that is paid by bereaved families in remaining involved in the lengthy, complex investigation, inquest or inquiry process, or indeed in campaigns where those processes have failed to deliver the justice and accountability that the family that family demanded and that we as the public interest should be demanding of those processes and the emotional and physical impact on generations of families should also not be forgotten and how it's exacerbated by that very state denial and insensitivity um, and lack of accountability that that we've been um, hearing about today um inquest uh, what we try and do is we work alongside bereaved people and civil rights lawyers and other campaigning organisations to try and strengthen that institutional framework for accountability for, for, for state-related deaths. And by putting um, family testimony in the broader context in which these deaths, uh, deaths take place in that broader public, political and legal arena, it has impacted on some legal reform and policy change, which has benefited all bereaved people. And we can perhaps address some of that in, in, in questions. And very significant part of that has been the Human Rights Act, um, which um, has had quite a dramatic impact on some inquests. Now, Kai mentioned that their inquest was not was not deemed to be an Article 2 um, inquest, so it, it wasn't the... The, the, the kind of broader scope, it also meant that they had to, to um, raise funds for their own legal representation, which is just morally indefensible. Um, but there have been some changes and, and the campaign for, for, for legal aid for inquests has had a recent success um, in, in the, the state finally acknowledging that where a, where a death engages Article 2 of the Human Rights Act, there should be automatic funding for families to be represented through those processes. Now, I should say it's, it took kind of 39 years to, 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 get, to get us this, to this point, but 
you know, it does show that that persistence and, and campaigning can can make a difference. Of course, in saying that, on the one hand, we of course are now confronting the reality of of, of the Bill of Rights and how that potentially um, could undermine um, all the positive um, work that um, we've all done and and the the positive obligations under the Human Rights Act in terms of the right to life and associated case law that has actually given families more more rights. And maybe we can deal with that in in, in some in some of the, the, the questions. But one of the things that Inquest did in terms of um, some, some work that, that Bishop James was doing as part of the Hillsborough um, review, um, which incidentally, um, five years on, the government have yet to respond to. We arranged for Bishop James to meet other bereaved families as part of the review he was doing because we felt that many of the experiences of the Hillsborough families were, be, were still being experienced by other families after, after contentious deaths. And he likened the Hillsborough disaster to other state-related deaths when he said, where an institution has closed ranks, refused to disclose information, used public money to defend its interests and acted in a way that was both intimidating and oppressive. And I think there's no better description of the inquest that Kai and Nicole experienced than, than, than that from, from um, Bishop James. So I think just, just in kind of in conclusion, um, I think when we work together and when campaigns join together and we recognise the intersection of, of, of the work that we're all doing around truth and justice and accountability, it's, it can shine a really important light on the conduct of the state and corporate bodies and ask a far more challenging set of questions about the importance of human rights, the needs of bereaved people, um, and in particular, the accountability, the democratic accountability of the state uh, corporate bodies um, and the dangers of unaccountable power uh, and, and uh, oppressions. Um, Kai and I both spoke um, uh, recently uh, at a new launch of Hillsborough Law Now, the, the Public Authority Accountability Bill, which is the legacy project of the Hillsborough families. And that in, integral to that, um, to that bill is the need to create a duty for public authorities to act with transparency and candor in investigations and inquiries. And a statutory duty of candor would not only ease the challenge <clears throat> facing families during inquest and inquiries, but also add further legitimacy to these processes by making them more transparent and to try and help ensure that there's no hiding place for official wrongdoing or criminality or failure and help prevent cover-ups and enable swifter and fairer justice. Crucially, that Hillsborough law would also provide for parity of, of representation for victims of disasters and other controversial state deaths um, and ensure that those most effective are able to effectively participate in, in, in the process. And that's particularly important for any family who is going through a process where they're trying to find out the truth, um, where the state of course, arms arms itself with the best legal representation and has access to all the information. So we can perhaps touch on that because it, it is so important. And at the end of the day, at the crux of, of, of our work, um, 
is that democratic accountability um, of the state. And at a time of increasing inequality and austerity and the rise of this increasingly authoritarian government and attacks on the rights of so many people, I think the need for our work and us all to work together and join up these campaigns um, has never been greater. So I'll, st I'll stop there. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. And um, I'd just like to pay tribute to your work over the decades in that of Inquest. Um, Halian has worked with you and you, you've written in our magazine, Socialist Lawyer, and um, we're, we're in awe of the work that you do and, and your colleagues. So um, I would like to invite people to um, ask questions. Um, I'm going to initially just take another moment to um, remember Zane. And I was going to invite um, Kai or Nicole um, just to maybe elaborate, Kai, on the, the moment that you talked about earlier whenever Zane was, was talking about um, climate justice. Yeah, Zane uh, introduced, he went to his head teacher and said, look, we're uh, a, a good school. And we should be doing more for the local community and we should be doing more for the world. And uh, he persuaded his head teacher that the issues of the environment and uh, sustainability are things that his school should be involved in. He went to one of the top five schools in the country. And um, so he uh, he did a really good thing to introduce his school. He's uh, just a climate activist. but. He was involved in all sorts of things. Zane raised lots of money for different charities. He's just always seeking to, to help people. So it's really uh, perverse um, that this is the way in which Zane would die due to matters that relate to authorities that protected themselves, but just couldn't be bothered to protect the community around them whereas that is actually their job. But um, Zane was a, a lovely boy, and we wish that some of the adults involved in these forities had his, uh, his ethics and morality. And um, we must get the truth for Zane. This is what this conversation is about. It's so sad that we have to talk about all these other areas, Declan, and people listening, when... They're totally irrelevant. This is just a case of a child that was in a house and his home was infused with a deadly chemical nerve agent. And that in any situation around the world would make global news, whether it's Alexei Navalny, Khan Shakun and Salisbury. You know, these are serious incidents. But next to London, you know, beautiful Zane, uh, in, in this situation so he just wanted he knew the world was suffering his favorite songs were from Michael Jackson Heal the World and uh, one of his other favorite songs sadly discussed children dying from chemical gases um, so a lot of Zane's existence was uh, fantastic great uh, but very prophetic in terms of what eventually happen to us. We've got a further video. It's it's a short one of two minutes, which will um, br bring you further up to date and give some reflections from 
the fire brigades union and how they they've um, supported the, the the case for truth about sin. It's now six years since the floods in Chertsey and the death of a seven-year-old boy. But what caused Zane Bangbola's death is still the big question being asked by those who love him. Zane, seven-year-old boy, died in a house with nerve agent. obviously need to get to the truth of what happened and that's what inquests are all about. The Fire Brigade Union is supporting the family from the FBU, Joe Weir. The evidence that we've got from our firefighters that attended that day was hydrogen cyanide, high levels of hydrogen cyanide was gathered and detected at that premises. We've really got to see our public authorities being transparent and honest about potential risks to all of us. It's wrong that people have to wait this long for justice. It's wrong that Zane's parents have had to fight so courageously for justice. It's wrong they had to crowdfund to uh, run uh, a legal case. That's just not right. Sir Keir Starmer was, uh, said that the inquest was a very narrow inquiry and there now needs to be a full investigation. Our teams that went along there are specialist teams, uh, hazmat specialist teams who detected hydrogen cyanide, and that evidence needs to be explored further because simply not to is to deny a seven-year-old boy justice. The involvement of experts from the government's defence lab, Bolton Down, was withheld from the inquest. Labour says clearly the full story wasn't told. Families still roar with grief in courtrooms up against highly paid QC, our protecting vested interests. The truth has never been investigated, so whatever your views on what happened to Zane, all we're asking is that this is investigated. The petition has now reached over 100,000 signatures. So I, I think that that um, video brings you up to date and shows you um, further support from the, the fire brigades. It, it certainly does, Declan. It's, it's um, oftentimes the media would say the family believe, and um, it's not the family believe, it's the evidence. Um, it's, and all we've ever asked for is an investigation based on the true evidence. And uh, so it's good to see that video because having heard from Nicole and I and uh, and others that are here, uh, you, you get the opportunity to hear from um, those people that are eminent in their knowledge, especially in the legal space as well. Um, and they see it, they get it. And um, it, it, it's not it's not hard to understand that vulnerable people, especially children, should not have their human rights stripped from them uh, at the point when everybody needs to be protected. And this is knowledge that is gaining around the world right now. You know, in, in, in America, you've got a $21 billion fund so that people uh, in situations of landfill are not going to end up in communities that are poisoned. And 
and harmed in this way. And this is exactly what Zane's law is about. They've actually got the infrastructure uh, bill in America as we speak. Uh, the United Nations are looking to do the same across the globe to ensure that uh, it matters of the environment and climate change don't come to kill people. And we've experienced that here just in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've experienced flooding, which is now on a regular basis. And it's the duty of authorities to protect us. But it's also, as I've said before, lawyers are often the way in which people come to get truth and justice. And we're here now amongst people that have that as their background and uh, they can do uh, little better than to come and join uh, this particular fight because it's for all of our futures. Thanks, Kai. I have a question from Tanya Gupta. Um, she's from BBC News and she's asked um, Deborah and I what needs to happen now for Zane and what, what can happen now. She knows there are calls for an inquiry, although it hasn't happened yet. And what are the small steps after an inquest is over? So um, Deborah had her hand up um, and I'll let her address that first. Yeah, and, and Kai, please please come in because we, we talked briefly about this yesterday. But um, as some of you will know, it's extremely difficult to challenge uh, a flawed inquest, not least because in order to do that, you have to judicially review. And in order to judicially review, you need to have a, a, a lot of money because there's no funding available to get legal aid to, to, to do that. So I think uh, the the... The most important thing for, for, for this family and for, for us all is to support calls for a similar kind of um, inquiry that happened, for example, in, into Hillsborough, where you had the Hillsborough uh, panel, where you had an opportunity of people with expertise in effectively uncovering information that the state would rather um, not disclose in uncovering and reviewing and bringing out the truth through an, a, 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 an inquiry um, panel process. Um, Kai, do you want to do you want to talk more about that? Yeah, so Deborah, you mentioned the work of Bishop James Jones and uh, we participated in that and the outcome was the patronising disposition of unaccountable power. And um, so, yes, what he wrote did reflect that. But you, when you um, are effectively part of a, a, a kind of a stitch up the cover up uh, and you see how uh, the way forward is an independent panel inquiry. So you ask the questions of those that are in power. And we've been asking this question for several years of prime ministers, and they've all been very clear um, that we could give you an independent power panel inquiry. But of course, their issue is if you're stepped in someone's blood so far that it's more tedious to continue than to step away, uh, or it's less tedious to continue than to step away, then you will just continue on. So we've always had responses back of, um, yes, it's possible. That's really helpful, you know, to know that we're not barking up the wrong trees. So helpful. 
um, and it enables other people that do want to support us in powerful positions to say, well, look, there aren't any uh, imperatives, uh, impediments to uh, allowing it. But what the standard response is and was given to the local authority is that, well, we've given the family the opportunity to have a judicial review. And the problem that that our our lawyers will find with that is that, well, um, it's not captured because there isn't the the evidence has been so well suppressed that there needs to be an investigation before you can cross the line that would allow the judicial review to turn into another inquest. So it's very clear that that um, route, the, the doorway we've been offered is the 30 year doorway. Go through, go through this doorway and, you know, be here for another 30 years. So we um, prefer the uh, position of the manifesto and the support of our cross parties that they must have an independent panel inquiry. And um, so that's the, the way in which we will. Uh, continue to proceed with all of your support. They know that's the right way forward. It's in writing. Thanks, Kai. Um, I'm conscious that um, Nicole hasn't um, spoken yet, so I just wanted to give her the opportunity, although she's, of course, not obliged. Um, But in in the meantime, she can indicate to me if she wants to come in um, but yeah, I, do, I just wanted to give Kai the opportunity to speak freely this evening. I didn't see it necessary for me to say any more other than to thank you all for supporting us. And um, we do very much feel like we walk alone uh, a lot of the time. And um, it's uh, saying to the world is just one child, but to us, he was the world. And we will continue fighting if we have to for the rest of our lives. But um we join forces with other um, campaigns and try and learn from from them and you know to push through the door once they've already opened it you know to try and um, shorten the the amount of years that we're fighting for but um for us we very much are stuck in this moment in time you know it's it's stood still for us um and we aren't able to grieve we have to relive and we talk very openly about having to um, crowdfund but, and, and to, to gain signatures. But that meant walking out and telling our story hundreds of times in the streets to people, begging for money, you know, when we were at our most vulnerable. Um, we were literally sleeping on the hospital floor for six months. I, had, I wasn't allowed back into the home because of um, Public Health England, uh, Port and Down had seized the house. And um, we had nothing, we we had nothing of Zane's that we could hold on to. We were very much stripped of of everything and broken. But it's not until you faced your greatest fears and it's not until you've lost everything that you get almost an armour um, nothing worse can happen to you and you become fearless. You know, once Zane was was laid to rest 12 weeks later and I had to sit with his body for the whole 12 weeks waiting for the police to release him for burial. It was then that we became stronger um, and we were able to start this campaign and we understood 
the value of public pressure um, that we opened up. We didn't want to grieve so publicly, but we realised we need the public pressure in order to make sure that what happened to Zane never happens again. And um, yeah, thank you for allowing me to just take a moment. You're, you're welcome, Nicole. And, you know, I am very conscious that, you know, as you say, you've, you've had to repeat the story again and again, and that must be um, traumatising. But, um, you know, it's just remarkable the the love and um, strength that you have to to keep fighting for the, the truth about saying. And um, I think, yes, I referred to it earlier, but, um, you know, we all can learn from the, the Hillsborough campaign um as kai says we don't want to wait 30 years but um you know you should never have to feel as if you're you're walking alone and um it's it's important to have people who are on this call to to think about what they can do to help and to um join the campaign and um you know give you assistance and um in any way they can so i've got um philippa who has um, her hand up and um, I'll give her the, the opportunity to ask a question. Yeah, I did just put it in chat, but um, very obviously um, is um, what about Daniel Hannan, who's um, Justice Secretary, uh, Isha and um, Walton MP, and also Runnymede MP, um, uh, um, Dr. Ben um, Spencer, he actually was a consultant in mental health, I think, actually, originally. I mean, are they, you know, aware, are they um, involved in any way? Thank you for the question, Philippa. Thank you, Declan. This is Kai. And um, they're not involved in any way. We've met with the various justice ministers um, and, and they've been quite clear that they could give Zane an independent panel inquiry if, if it gets authorised, and it will often get to the Prime Minister and then we'll receive a letter back saying no. Um, and this no. is across various Prime Ministers. So we always do uh, keep the door open to, uh, and we constantly try to talk to. So we have contacted, um, certainly, uh, uh, the, the, the one for uh, Runnymede, Dr. Ben Spencer. I think uh, Daniel Hannan is is relatively new. Yeah, that's why I will, you know, the mic, because he seems to be trying to make his mark. Yeah, we'll continue doing that. The material part of this conversation is that we all met a few years back at a memorial. Uh, for Zane in Parliament. And at that memorial, it was made quite clear to us that uh, the government will never go against the coroner, uh, almost as a point of policy, and they won't give Zane uh, another inquest. Um, nevertheless, it's for us to continue to ask those, uh, those questions. And so we do. And any um, we we have uh, the Conservative uh, Spellform Borough Council specifically say to and urge the, the Prime Minister, please give Sane an independent panel inquiry. So we're, we're, we're facing these big barriers, but at least you're aware that we've, we, we keep trying, we try with these people, but these barriers yeah. are difficult to overcome. 
just to be clear, we are Spellthorn and um, our MP is Kwasi Kwarteng. Um, and I mean, we, we've, he's not an Andy Burnham, let's put it that way. Thanks uh, for your question, Philippa. I've got Ken, um, who has got his hand up for a question. Ken, if you can unmute yourself. Kai, um, I know your house location very well. And uh, my uh, one of my grandsons was very fortunate to know um, your grandson my, when he was at school. Um, can I just uh, query, you still live back in onto that lake. And as I understand it, that is going to form part of the Thames flood relief scheme and therefore works in the inverted commas must take place there. Uh, so is there not some avenue of exploration that should have be carried out and investigated when that takes place? Thank you very much for that, Ken. When um, the unanimous vote of the uh, elected members uh, was that Zane must have an independent panel inquiry. They followed up with um, there are many landfills in the area and indeed the sister site um, of the landfill behind us was remediated in 2011. Um, you'll guess what for, it was remediated for cyanide. Uh, it was dumped exactly the same way. That evidence didn't make it to the, uh, it was is in the bundle of Zane's inquest, but they found it easy to ignore. Now, going forward, um, the, the issue becomes one of the land should, of course, be tested, not just for the benefit of us, but for the benefit of the community. At great cost, we um, had further geotechnical work done to our home and it found migrating landfill gases. The house was going to kill again. And that's why none of the public authorities would allow anybody to come to our property to, to meet with us because it was dangerous. And so huge amounts of work had to be done to um, do the same as the authorities had done to their properties next door to us, i.e. position a gas-proof membrane. Now, that gives you sufficient evidence that there are real problems in the area, and the members have said that this is a problem that extends across the borough, and the British Medical Journal have said this is a problem that extends across the nation, and UN have said that this is a problem that extends across the world. So ostensibly what we are trying to achieve is that if you don't recognise the truth of what's happened, then you don't have an opportunity to resolve it and do the right thing by those that it's happened to and others that could be affected. So the land remains a ticking time bomb. And even if you have what is called a relief scheme, um, that will generally entail balancing ponds and all sorts of things that might burrow beneath the surface, but it doesn't remedy the problem. You have to specifically remedy the problem as is required under the Environmental Protection Act. And we tested this with um, some of the ministers. We met with them and uh, 
we outlined uh, what the law says in front of their officials and they completely agreed that the land needed to be remediated. But when you're in our position, Ken, things get to a level every time and then things go silent, very much as Deborah has uh, related across um, her talk. And we find that time and time again. But our position is a simple one. And that is all people need to be protected. And um, and that is necessary. The more the uh, areas uh, are affected. So Zane's event was the first time that climate change has been um, stated by a sitting prime minister as the cause for the storms. So we want to address the material issues in many ways. And the material issues are that um, there is gases that are migrating from a secret landfill that predates our building. Our building is not on, on that landfill and it will kill people. And people have complained about that fact, including the people that wrote the report for um, the, the public authorities involved. The author wrote to them and said, I'm concerned that the public are at risk. Four years later, Zane is killed and I'm paralysed. I'm not important. Some people might ask about me. But the most important thing is that when people are killed, then the law of this country is that they should have truth and justice associated with what happened to them. Thank you. Thanks, Kai. Um, just to um, have a, a slight um, correction, we, we do consider you important and um, we, we um, appreciate the sentiment, but um, we, we recognise it that you suffered as well. But thank you for your um, selfless campaigning on the issue. Um, I'm going to just ask Deborah to come in again, um, sort of building upon that question that Ken asked, and um, some have asked before, I think that there's um, sort of recognition that the, the political will needs to come in and um, override the legal obstacles. Um, there's problematic aspects of the inquiries system, which even if an inquiry was granted would probably be problematic. So, um, Prize alluded to the, the Labour Party's manifesto commitment. What, what's your sort of sense of what needs to happen legislatively? And is the, um, the Labour manifesto commitment enough? Well, if the, if the Labour manifesto commitment isn't to support not just um, a, a, a panel, an independent panel or inquiry into Zane, but also the implementation of, of Hillsborough law to ensure that other families who, who have to go down this, this, this path don't suffer the, suffer the similar experiences, then I think there are important questions to be, lay, to be made about Labour's commitment to human rights and in particular learning from, you know, the miscarriages of justice that go back, you know, decades. Um, but I think one of the things I think Kaya and Nicole have done really so well is to try and make this a, a, a cross-party issue because I think what, what they've done is they've they've raised awareness amongst a whole 
cross-section of, of, of parliamentarians and campaign groups and others, that effectively recognising that a gross uh, injustice has, has, has been, um, ha, has happened, and that actually, and you're quite right, Declan, I think Kai never talks about himself, but you know, a, a, a family who've been traumatised. And Nicole, it was really good to hear from you because I, I, I've always watched the both of you working so hard um, in, in, in your campaigning. And it's really important that you uh, recognise and that we all recognise just how traumatising it is to constantly have to tell your story. And I think importantly, as so many families have said, you can't properly grieve until you get the truth. And we know that we know that from those families um, who and survivors who campaigned so so, so vigorously after after Hillsborough, um, and the importance uh, and the vindication of of, of their struggles and um, and the untruths that were actually you know really I think brought home by an inquest jury at the, the Hillsborough inquests. So sorry to, to kind of you know, answer, answer your question. I mean, I think that we have to, we have to try and put pressure on um, all political parties, but in particular, Labour, who have, who, who have made it, certainly in the previous manifesto, made a commitment. Um, and obviously in, in, in building up to the next um, election, we've got to make sure that these issues and, and issues around human rights and issues around justice and campaigns are actually firmly on the political agenda moving forward. And I think it's up to all of us to, to kind of join together and make sure that the, all the different campaigns that we're involved in, which actually do connect in, in, in so many ways, um, are taken on are, are taken on board um, and that you know speak truth to power um, uh, you know and we've evidenced that we've evidenced um, truth to power but we've got to now make sure those in power actually take on board these struggles and support them. Thanks Deborah. Um, I, it was my intention to um, finish up about it but I have a, a question from Debbie who I know is involved in the campaign for the Hillsborough law. So if um, people don't mind waiting um, for a few minutes longer, I'll give um, Debbie the, the chance to ask a question and then Kai and Deborah um, the answer. And then um, if there's no burning questions, we, we'll um, conclude after that. Um, so if you can unmute yourself, Debbie. Hi. Um, yeah, I wasn't going to say anything, but I, I'm from Liverpool. I'm from the Hillsborough Lawn Out campaign. I work closely with Deborah and I've met with Kai a few times and Nicole on the phone. Um, I just wanted to highlight, we've set the campaign up so it's an official campaign now. Um, and we're doing some training on what it actually means. And the aim is, is that we'll build an army of volunteers who will go out to their constituencies union members, members of parliament and anyone who listened to us and asking them to lobby parliament to have a Hillsborough law now. Um, but I think with the because it's so many um, different recommendations that everyone needs to be a little bit more comfortable with what they're asking for. Also, we're going to be at Labour Party conference in Liverpool. Um, it's a gift for us because, uh, you know, the leader of opposition of Labour is not liked in Liverpool because of the sun um, and I think we could put pressure on the Labour Party to do something decent for us while they're there and um, 
what we're going to do is we're going to have a fringe event, but we're also organising some some um, some stall activity as well. So if anyone's coming to conference in a de- in a delegate manner or as part of a union, if you could put mo- motions to your CLPs and anyone who's coming to conference, get them to speak about Hillsborough on the conference floor and get it spoke about as much as possible, and then we can't be ignored. So, well, thanks for letting me speak then. Thank you, Debbie. And I, I think those tactics equally apply in relation to the, the truth about saying, you know, there's many on the, the call that might be trade union members, put it before your branch, um, go to your parties in advance of their um, manifesto drafting. And yeah, just continue to put pressure on the authorities and build up um, the army of volunteers that these justice campaigns often require, usually require. And, um, you know, we've had long experience of trying to assist in, in whatever way we can. Um, so I think we're, we're coming towards a conclusion. Um, I, I do have a one other hand up, so I'll, I'll just ask you to... Um, yeah, on mute. Go on ahead. Um, hello. Hello. Good evening, everyone. Um, could Kai or Nicole please just um, tell us about the 21st of October, if you're able to, please? Yeah, the Thank 21st you. of October is when there will be a coming together uh, of uh, Matt Rack, who's the General Secretary of the Fire Brigade Union, and all of those unions that you would have saw their logos to deliver the 111,000 person petition to number 10 Downing Street. We meet at College Green at 11 o'clock and uh, we march with, there'll be some speeches um, from various dignitaries uh, at the what I call the, the the campaign bus for the fire brigade run by an able gentleman called Sausage. And then once we've um, done some talking, we will have a rolling uh, walk from College Green to 10 Downing Street. And Matt Rack will accompany Nicole and I to deliver the petition to Downing Street. So again, we're continuing to throughout the route raise awareness it's just that nice condensed short period but we're delivering a message we're standing for Zane being Zane's voice to enable Zane to have his human rights restored uh, through an independent panel inquiry and that's the specific ask. It would have been Zane's 16th birthday on the 21st of October and so it's us trying to give him something for his birthday you know and to 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 keep us busy fighting and so it is a significant day for us because Zane will always be forever seven and him turning 16 is always a big you know everyone wants to be 16 because they know better than their parents don't they at 16 um and so that it's very significant that we are trying to do something for Zane on his birthday thank you thanks Nicole um so I, I'm going to, to wrap up. I just wanted to give Deborah one last opportunity if she wanted to say anything else. Um, no, I, I, I just I just want to stop, really end where I started, which is just to, to to say how just phenomenal I think Kai and and Nicole are, and also thank you for sharing something about 
Zane because it's important that you know we we've we've learned a bit about what a special um young boy he was and the mark he made in just those those years that that he 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 was with us but i i think that we if we can take something from here we do need to try and join up these campaigns and we all need to come out on the 21st of october and support you um and make sure that we you know we we do what we can to keep this campaign live but also recognize i think we all need to recognize the impact that it places on bereaved people who have to campaign often over decades and we shouldn't accept that the system is allowed to do that so i think there's lots of learning we can take from not just the truth about Zane campaign but other campaigns and it really should kind of spur us all on to try and affect the kind of meaningful systemic change so that you know families like Kai and Nicole don't have to constantly fight for truth rather than um being able to grieve um so and and I just thanks I mean thank you Kai and, and and Nicole for letting me share this platform but also um, just big up the brilliant work of the Haldane Society and um, it's an important relationship and you know let's let's carry on working together and all those on the call um, uh, that I, I, I've seen I mean great work that Hilda Palmer always love to see Hilda around around kind of workplace deaths in particular so um, I think you know what's that that expression I don't want to use a Blairite expression but what is it stronger together um, you know truth justice accountability let's bring the struggles together Thank you very much. Thanks, Deborah. And um, I just say that we did um, meet Kai on a video call with the Corbyn Truth and Justice campaign, our project, and um, we <clears throat> we will continue to work with our, our comrades within that group, which um, involves many campaigns, um, some of them, um, you know, that have dealt with systemic injustice for, for decades. So um, on behalf of Haldane, um, I'd just like to thank everybody who attended this evening, particularly um, Kai, Nicole and Deborah. And Haldane sends all our love and solidarity to Nicole and Kai. And um, we um, will continue to support your campaign in whatever way we can. And yeah, just thanks to everybody for attending tonight and um, please do um, look at the email, look at the website and um, support in, in whatever way you can. So have a good evening everyone and thanks for coming. You are listening to the Socialist Lawyer podcast produced by the Holding Society of Socialist Lawyers established in 1930. You can find other podcasts as well as information about future events and how to join the society at www.holding.org.